funny like it's like we're calling it a diet yeah good really it's we're eating real foods this yeah. is like a lifestyle this is evolutionarily this is what humans are designed to be eating people eat like this and they get healthier That's well said and these problems just all of a sudden magically disappear when it's like no this is what we were supposed to be eating the whole time we've just been like kind of misled into this like industrial food complex of fake foods and sugars and oils that's kind of gotten us into the situation that we're currently in. What's up, everybody? It's Jamie. You're listening to this podcast because you want to think and you want to live differently. And if you haven't already, the way to get that done as fast as possible is by joining GoBundance at any level. We're the community that you've been searching for with six incredible pillars around contribution, health, relationships, accountability, adventure, horizontal income, unbelievable pillars that we do everything around in this incredible community. You can experience the power of being in the best physical shape you can be, having a supportive tribe, achieving your bucket list items, having a community of peer partners, giving back and building a lifetime, a lifetime of wealth. So I hope you join us, join this tribe. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. As we go into uncertain times, join the tribe where you can find the people and the resources you need to see you through. Go to GoBundance.com, fill out an application and we'll figure out the right community for you, whether it's Emerge, Elite, Champion or GoBundance Women's GoBundance.com. Check it out today. Back to the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Brett and Harry, make up the Meat Mafia. Incredible, incredible brand and podcast. We're talking all about the carnivore diet. And I, I don't know, this is a topic I've wanted to get somebody on for so, so long. So I'm blessed to have these guys here today. So we could talk about, like, how do you just eat meat and still be healthy? I thought you needed vegetables and all this shit, but let's see what they say. Meat all Mafia. Good. Meat Mafia. Good to have you guys. Dude, Pleasure to be us. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Brett, Harry. Yes. You guys came from, I think, out of college, if I'm not if I'm hearing the story right. Mm -hmm. You were you were shitting a lot and you started <laughs> to eat meat. Is that the that's the general through? One of us was. <laughs> One of you was. Harry gets <laughs> Harry gets I just lumped get wrapped into, into, into it. You get wrapped into the shit story. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. I mean, real quick, who's the other guy that pops up? Uh, Donnie with these like, you know, shrimp flavored cheese balls. Like, who's that guy? <laughs> That's one of our buddies from college. So we brought him in to start doing a cooking show, but he's a recent addition, but it's been great having him on. He's yeah, he's fascinated. The whole brand, guys, is fascinating. <laughs> Thank you. I, I love it's it. It's amazing. So tell me about the shit story. The shit story. Well, I think um, the Meat Mafia brand, it's really like a combination of Harry and I's friendship and how we've both kind of had our own journeys into nutrition and we're trying to just help people simplify the process of health and really um just just break things down because we feel like things are very overcomplicated. yeah and we're um one of the things that's interesting about health is like in the context of nutrition we focus so much on these peer-reviewed studies and modern research and things like that but we've kind of lost the power of anecdote and learning from other people's stories and their own perspectives of health so you know, for me, you know, both Harry and I met, we played baseball in college together and I had some pretty bad stomach issues going into my senior year of college. Um, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis. So it's basically just extreme inflammation in your colon, which is like your upper, your upper intestine, uh, your large intestine. And so for me, like I was literally shitting 20 plus times a day, like mostly Come blood. On. I'm not kidding. Yeah. 20 times Some a day. people are even more than that too, to be honest with you, oh. because- As a the, 20 two-year-old yeah 20 or 21 year old and you said there's like blood in your stool there's all blood in, yeah up. exactly wow. and it, it's That's actually scary. it's yeah it's it's wild it's most common um actually men that are in their 20s 
And we don't really know why that is, but you know, a lot of men, they think they're invincible or they're just young and stupid. They don't really tell anyone. And that was my, my case was that I just didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my doctor until the point got to a point where I had basically lost almost 30 pounds and had to get hospitalized. Um, and these autoimmune diseases, they say that they're incurable. So the best that they can do is they can put you into remission. Yeah. Um, so I was on drugs and medication that cost $400,000 a year. Um, each infusion was $50,000 per infusion every eight weeks. Um, and so for me, it was just- Was it getting you any better? The medicine? It, so that's what that's what we say is like we're not anti-drugs or Western medicine because I was so inflamed that I literally needed medication yeah. to get out of this the situation I was in. And it basically like cleared that base it cleared that baseline and got me significantly healthier, but it only got me to a certain point. So I would say that I was still going to the bathroom like probably four or five times a day. I, I felt good, but not great. And then everything changed in 2019. And the reason why I say that is I stumbled upon um, Dr. Sean Baker, who was on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about the carnivore diet. So here's this doctor. He was an emergency surgeon. He's an army veteran. And he's talking about the benefits of eating all animal products, primarily red meat. And so from our perspective, it's like, dude, like these red meat, like, isn't that going to kill you? Isn't that going to cause heart disease and cancer? Because that's like the narrative that we've been told. But as as he's going on this podcast, he's saying that not only is red meat some of the most nutritious, nutrient-dense foods you can put into your body, it's also incredibly bioavailable. It digests, and, it digests amazingly well. And all these people that have these modern diseases that are overweight, that are obese, that are you know type 2 diabetic – they're curing a lot of these things by eating this animal-based, you know, carnivore diet. Um, and then he started talking about people with colitis and gut issues and mm -hmm. GI issues are healing these things. So for me, I'm like, well, damn, like if I could try this diet and maybe get better, get off medication, why would I not try and heal holistically? And so I follow this diet. I eat all animal pro I, I ate all animal products, primarily red meat. I had some chicken. I had some fish. I cooked everything in good quality butter and olive oil. I had a little bit of cheese. I had a little bit of coffee. So I was kind of like carnivore-ish because yeah. um, cheese and some dairy and coffee is not technically carnivore. But I basically removed a lot of these processed oils and sugars and grains. And within a few weeks, I was down to going to the bathroom like one to two times a day. And my skin got better. I put on more muscle at the gym. My anxiety went away and my stomach just got better and better to the point where now I'm off of all drugs and medication and I'm completely just- So rolling. autoimmune disease healed. Healed, yeah. Healed, right? Healed. Through this diet. And the thing is, is that a lot of other, this diet has become so popularized the last few years that a lot of other people that have these autoimmune diseases are reporting similar symptoms and getting off of their medication and becoming healthier. Um, so I think, you know, for, for both of us, it's like, we're both examples of what can happen when you use food as, as medicine. And that's, that's the thing that we've really lost as our, as a society, we don't believe that we can actually heal a lot of these modern diseases through diet and lifestyle. Um, and that's kind of the basis for the show. I love it, man. I love every bit about it. How did you get roped in? <laughs> so we played baseball together in yeah. college. Um, unfortunately, I actually didn't overlap while we were there playing wise. Uh, I was a year older than Brett, but we graduated and both of us really had this interest in endurance sports. Mm. And so we were staying connected. Um, I was working up in Boston. Brett was in New York. And as I said, we both played baseball. And, I, and growing up, I was really like the health nut, like dude who's always in the gym during high school. Like my friends would literally make fun of me because I was in the gym. Um, and then I went through this period of kind of like losing 
my like athletic, healthy, uh, vibrance that I, that I once had as I entered the, the working world. So like six years in, I was just like, man, I'm like not the athlete I used to be. And so I started messing around with the carnivore diet coincidentally, same time around. Oh, Brett, it wasn't, Brett, it wasn't like he introduced no, it. wasn't coordinated. No. Oh, yeah. shit. That's yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, started eating a keto diet. This was really like pre COVID few months before COVID and started getting my, my act together and was really just focused on similar stuff to what Brett's talking about, like reducing the inputs, really focusing on high quality food. And then when it came to like working out, I was really just doing the basics, like bare minimum, like going on long walks, uh, hopping on the Peloton bike, but really just trying to keep it focused on the food component of, um, you know, like moving the needle when it came to just food prep. Cause when I was working, I was eating probably like two thirds, like some weeks I was eating every meal out and it wasn't like, like honestly, the the places that I would eat weren't all terrible. Mm-hmm. But like when you're eating all your meals out, like eventually you're gonna run into the problem of just like running into industrial seed oils or running into sugar that you don't know is in the meal. And so I was just like slowly letting my health slip away. And it wasn't like I was crazy unhealthy, but it was definitely a place where I was pretty uncomfortable with where I was at. And so I started to take the power back into my own hands. I was like, I got to make some changes. Wow. So I, I probably dropped to like 25. I'm a big guy, like 25, 30 pounds, um, just through very basic lifestyle changes and then focusing on real whole foods and um, primarily a high fat diet. And then I eventually started eating a carnivore diet. And so we linked up through the endurance races and our nutrition stories were kind of just, you know, they were just not not uh, synchronized at all, but we both had that background. And, you know, it was pretty clear um, as we started doing these races together, um, which is really kind of like the bedrock of our whole story with the Meat Mafia is mm-hmm. we did this race down in Texas together. We lived together for a month and afterwards we we're like, we need to work together. We need to start something. So that's how we started the Meat Mafia. But um, with, with the endurance stuff, it was just very clear that we had this passion for health and like wanting to make other people realize that there's changes that you can make without having to go to the pharmacy and, and get pills or something prescribed to you in order to fix problems that you're having when it comes to your health. So that makes sense. Yeah. Where were you in Boston, by the way? Uh, Charlestown. Oh, okay. In yeah. Southie yeah. for a little bit too. I lived in the seaport for a number of years. Okay, so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's great. great. Yeah. Are you from there? Both from there originally? Went to school up there. Okay. Yeah, yeah just school. Where'd you go to school? Babson College. Oh, Babson. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah very cool. Excellent. Yeah. And then you were in New York or New York City? New York I was City. in New York City for three years just working a tech sales job and having this whole experience with with diet and just trying to get myself healthier and doing the endurance races the wiping no no bullshit like the, the amount of like that's that's that hurts after a while you're going <laughs> oh, that yeah. much. you know what it's i mean like it feels like you're wiping your ass oh, with sandpaper oh shit my god i can't believe it but anyway yeah. go ahead the other, sorry the other thing too and and this is like from you know my perspective knowing Brett it's like I think the one thing people don't think about when it comes to these autoimmune issues is like the psychological toll that it takes on people as they're having to like, can you imagine having to go to the bathroom 20 times while you're working? It's embarrassing. It's painful. It's, you know what I mean? Like you just feel so it's all consuming. It has to be. Yeah. Your life basically becomes centered around like needing a toilet around you at all times. It's like very basic things where you're like, all right, well, I don't know if I want to go on this date with this girl because I don't know if there's like a bathroom I could get into or like what excuses am I going to say if I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of dinner? Like this is a lot of people with like IBS and IBD. They, they have to deal with that. And part of the reason is that it's embarrassing. So they don't tell people. And then by the time you actually get diagnosed with something or get like a colonoscopy, you're, you have a full blown autoimmune disease. Yeah. So you need to like, the reason why we talk about this stuff is we want people to understand that 
um, you, you know, you need to take inventory of what's going on in your body and like be reporting the stuff to a doctor or making those changes before it's too late. And that's one of the incredible things about like eating real foods is that, you know, you can regulate your body and have such incredible health and avoid a lot of these modern diseases that people are falling into. It's like, you know, we think it's a pretty simple equation about 65 to 70% of an American's calories are coming in the form of ultra processed food. So you think about the fact that it's like we're not eating real food anymore. We're eating these food-like substances out of a package that's sold by a publicly traded company. So just because it's edible doesn't actually mean it's meant to be digested and used for energy. So it's very simple, but it's very complicated how we've kind of gotten gotten into the state that we're in right now as a yeah, society. It, it's interesting with uh, with this diet in particular. I got I got you guys by a decade, maybe a little bit more. Um, Atkins jumps to mind, the right. Atkins diet. And I remember, mm -hmm. I remember this. I would go to Wendy's or whatever. They were like, "Oh, it's all good." I took the bun off, and I'm just eating this stuff inside. It's so good for me, right? But yeah. delineate this: what's carnivore versus, say, Atkins or keto? Kind of give me the you know meat product I get, but give me the difference between these for for the context of mm -hmm. these other popular diets you hear about. Yeah, the labeling is really confusing, and I, I think that that kind of plays into why a lot of people struggle with their diets because they try to stick a label on what they should be doing or like, you know, what camp they fall in. And it just turns into this like almost identity as opposed to a lifestyle, which is what we try to preach. So mm, I think I like a carnivore that. diet is really just basing all of your meals around animal protein. Uh, so that would be beef, lamb, chicken, eggs, uh, fish, and then you know, there's, I'm probably missing a few bone broth, bone marrow. Um, that's probably a majority of what would be falling on our carnivore diet. Carbon and then there's zero. Yeah, yeah. Carbs are basically zero. You're not eating plants. No fruits. So no. it depends who you ask, but like, you know, for us, it's like, we think the carnivore diet is an amazing tool that you can use. So you can go to the extreme, right? Like where you're just eating red meat, water, salt, and then that like that is for someone who's trying to like maybe reverse some autoimmune issues. But if you're trying to like balance a lifestyle on top of that, like we incorporate fruit because we think, you know, fruit's fine in moderation as long as and most of the times, like if you overeat fruit, like your stomach's going to get upset. So like your body, it, you eventually learn like your body's going to tell you whether or not you can eat it, eat enough of it. So, you know, the balance for us is like you're eating animal protein, animal products, and then some fruit, um, probably like 85%, 90% animal products, and then 5 10% fruit. Is there like an incubation period when you convert to a diet like this? Like mm -hmm. I think of, you guys know Jordan Peterson. Yeah, definitely. Right? Very famously talked about it. I think on Rogan's podcast, yeah. The Carnivore Diet. And I've heard him, <laughs> I've heard him in other, other contexts say like, it's miserable. But, you know, he's lost all this weight. He's, he's cured a lot of health issues or whatever. I, I'll be honest. What I loved about your brand was, uh, what's his name, Donnie? Like him <laughs> Donnie, and the things you yeah. guys do on YouTube. It's fun. It actually looks fun. Like I just want to. I want to eat meat. Yeah. That's yeah. weird to say. <laughs> I watch you guys and I want to eat meat, but you get my point. What, what is there an incubation period? So like if you convert to this diet, somebody's like, I, look, I, I don't like what I'm doing. I'm in that 65 to 70%. Mm -hmm. I'm eating a bunch of processed shit. Um, I understand veganism. I don't get down with that because I don't love plants and all of that stuff. And even veganism, like people, I, mm -hmm. there's so many fat vegans, right? Sugar and everything else is vegan technically. But yeah, I love meat. I love eating meat. So I can, I think I can, I think I can get on with this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But is there a point, a period of time that if you're going to commit to this, that there's going to be some misery, unless you're yeah. doing what you did. But you're like, if you're just like, hey, I want to convert to this, feel better about myself. 
Like, is it, is it, you know, you don't have any carbohydrates, you're switching to more of a ketogenic burn, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is it like when you start this diet? Yeah, I think everyone has a different window for how long it takes their body to become fat adapted. And what we mean by that is like for your body to accept fat at its, as its primary fuel source, as opposed to like carbohydrates and glucose. Yeah. So there, there's probably like a two to three week window, I would say on average, that was what it was for us. And with other people that follow the diet, I would say it's, it's that period. And it's really just getting your body adjusted where like your sodium is, is much lower because you're not getting these like starchy carbohydrates from breads, pastas, wheat, things like that. You're cutting all that stuff out and you're focusing on these animal-based sources. So what we try and say is like shop the outer perimeter of the grocery store, load up on the protein that you really like. From what we found, red meat is the most nutrient-dense form of protein. Good quality chicken is good as well. Pork is good as well if it's if it's sourced from a, from a good source. Um, eggs, fish, cheese, et cetera. And then probably like two to three meals a day. Cook all your meals, eat your eat your animal proteins first. Like typically like a protein serving that's like around your palm to around your hand is like a great is a great way to start. And then you incorporate some of these other foods. So if you know, if you want some vegetables, that's great. If you want some fruit, that's great. We try and not get to get too dogmatic telling you like, oh, you need to go carnivore, you need to go keto, you need to go paleo. It's like shop at the outer aisle eat real foods, and then determine what ratios make the most sense for you. For me in the beginning, because my stomach was so inflamed and other people that had autoimmune diseases, like Harry mentioned, um, you know, red meat, carnivore diet, that might be great just to get all these inflammatory triggers out. But the purpose of building health is actually to have resilience. So if your stomach is feeling good, your energy is feeling good, try incorporating some fruits, some vegetables, some raw dairy. There's so many nutrients in those things. And just see how you feel and you'll you'll adapt and figure out what approach um, works best for you. But like you mentioned with the Donnie Delicious, we do have fun. Like we have a philosophy that like every single bite of food that you take should be absolutely delicious, but it could be delicious and also really great for you and nourishing at the same time. Yeah. Like there's like Harry, you talk about this all the time. We don't white knuckle anything. We have fun. We cook our meals. We eat a bunch of food. It's delicious. It tastes great. We have people over for dinner. It's it's simple, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. How do you, how do you resolve some of like this was going through my brain, and I know there's you know cholesterol has gone back and forth, fat, you know there's been different uh, over different eras, different uh, stigmas attached to these things. Mm-hmm. But the one that comes to my mind is fiber. Like, how are you? Is it necessary? I've heard recently somebody on your podcast saying no, but or it's bad for you. But talk about fiber because that's the biggest thing that came to my mind because I go, I deal with some stomach issues sometimes, right? And mm-hmm. it always feels like it starts to correct itself when I get more beans or more mm-hmm. more fiber, you know, mm-hmm. fiber rich foods in my system. Maybe it's the protein. I don't know, but yeah. Talk about fiber. How do you get fiber in a, in a in a carnivore diet if you're being more pure on the pure end of carnivore meat, really meat, mm. animal product based? Yeah, I'm going to speak to my experience and not any science really. But from my experience, I didn't like on the carnivore diet, ended up not really needing any fiber, which is was a shocking to me. You know, growing up, all you hear is you need fiber for gut health, uh, which is primarily yeah. found in in uh, plant foods. And, you know, on a diet, you're eating red meat and I actually found the low inflammation nature of the diet. So there really aren't any. So one of the things about plant uh, foods is that there are these defense chemicals in plants that can be inflammatory. So when you eat a primarily meat-based diet, it's relatively low inflammation. So what I found is like I wasn't going to the bathroom as much, but when I did, it was like clean, you know, and, and like when I do eat a fibrous diet, it usually means I'm going to the bathroom a lot more and I'm 
like t- tend to be a little bit more backed up like TMI, but um, you know, with the carnivore diet, I, I've, you know, found myself like not really needing any what fiber. What you say not as frequently, like, is it every day or less than every day that you Yeah, like once a day. Once a day. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, it's still yeah. fairly regular. It's yeah. not like it's backing you up. Yeah. Yeah, days. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What's a high quality meat? You said high quality chicken, high quality meats. Like what, mm. what I can go to the store and get red good, meat good for a dollar. Yeah. But yeah. What's I, high I, quality? Something, something that's actually fed like it, um, an evolutionarily consistent diet, like what the animal is actually meant to be eating. So like pre- basically 99% of pork and chicken that you see in a grocery store, they're feeding those animals corn and soy, mm. which is not really what they're supposed to be eating. So as a result, the nutritional profile gets all out of whack. Um, Red meat, you can get away with it in the grocery store, but a lot of times they're still feeding the cow corn and soy because it's cheap. They're trying to get the animal really fat. So it's like the same thing with humans, right? If you feed humans a lot of grains, they're going to get fat. If you feed cattle grains, they're going to get really fat too. Um, So one of the things that we talk about is like a really easy way to get healthy is like cooking your meals, prioritizing real foods, and also getting as close to the source as possible. And so what we mean by that is like if you can find – like a local farmer or rancher in your area, you can really vet it and make sure that it's a trusted source and ask them the right questions, ask them what they're feeding their cattle, what are they feeding their chicken, what are they feeding their pigs, and then determine how good of that protein source is it actually. Like if you just do those three things and cook all your meals, you're going to be in a really good spot. Let me let me play this out because this is fascinating to me. I love this topic. And by the way, thanks for the – put it up here. Thanks for the – Little masa oh, yeah. chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all this stuff. Carnivore <laughs> yeah. bars, right? Even even yeah. lotion that I got, which uh, uh, <laughs> I about to say I'll use later, yeah. but that sounds really weird. Um, <laughs> but but let's, let's go into – you said about the size of the palm of your hand, right? So what I'm thinking is, man – well, oh God, there's like 18 questions. Let's start with this. If I go out and I you I get I get high quality meat as you just described yes. it. Thank you for that description. Um, and I season. It sounds like I can season with salt. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, so and so sorry to cut you off, but like pure pure uh, people that are the carnivore, they're like anti spice, and they say, oh, spices have defense chemicals. Mm. When I was carnivore, I still use spices. Like I wasn't eating jalapeno peppers and habaneros and things like that, but like I was using some salt, some pepper, some garlic powder. And, you know, you can take inventory and figure out how your stomach tolerates it. But, like, we, we season our steaks, our steaks, salt, pepper, garlic powder. So what I'm picturing, you're there. eating twice a day. About two big meals a day. Two big meals. Yep. Well, you say big meals. So that's size of your hand. What is that, about eight ounces? A little, yeah, like that. It's a, yeah, that's the, your palm is probably, yeah, six to, yeah, six, eight to ten ounces. But we're, you know, we're bigger guys. I probably eat a pound of meat each meal. So I have about two pounds of meat a day. Okay. Well, let's yeah. just go with, I get two 10 ounce ribeyes a day. Just going with that one. Yeah. I, I, yes, I, love I went to Perry's Steakhouse yeah. last oh, night. So nice. good. Fucking <laughs> awesome. It was great. <laughs> I, had, I had, I had dessert too though. Yeah. So I, I completely yeah. violated anything Connor for. Um, but I have two of these a day, right? I get, I get locally sourced meat and I, I, I season it up. I cook yep. it and that's all I eat twice yep. a day. Right. I can live on that. I can sustain on that. That's yes. what you're saying. Correct. Yeah, okay. Totally. Um, does, is it a more expensive diet then or a less expensive diet? It's a good question because that's yeah. that's what a lot of people – there's a lot of uh, controversy around the price of the diet. I mean we say – doesn't sound like a lot of food though. I, I love this question personally because I think that people are thinking about the idea of food in a backwards way. And what I mean by that is like we should be thinking about food and healthcare costs in the exact same vein. Right. So if you're eating garbage and your food costs are cheap, well, you better expect to have a high medical bill because that food is is not going to promote 
like high levels of health. So in our eyes, you really do need to take that view when it comes to being, you know, when you're, you're t- talking about cost of food and t- cost of healthcare, it's all the same, right? Um, and if you can avoid being in the hospital, like That's through what you're eating, um, and, and it's actually inverse. So it, typically, the typical American budget, thirty percent is made up of healthcare costs and food, and for a while. Uh, you know, in, in like the 60s and 70s, food would make up about 20% of that 30%, other 10% being healthcare costs. And that's inversed over the past several decades. So it just goes to show like the direction we're heading in and how we're thinking about food. It's like food is medicine. And we really need to start thinking about it that way. Because then you go, okay, like maybe I'm paying a little more now for the ribeyes, but at least I'll have a lot of energy later into my life. This right? is the thing, like when I think about, you know, I'm in the real estate space and part of what I do. So, you know, you buy property and, you know, most of us live in monthly budget increments, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about, I'm guessing 30% of your budget is spent on food and health care, that's an annualized number, I would guess, right? Like over the course of a year, mm-hmm. a sustained period of time. So it's a great point because, you know, like you're going to buy a car. You can overpay for that car as long as it fits your monthly budget or buy a house. You'll overpay for the total price on that house as long as it fits your monthly budget. And to your point, like food is a monthly expense. Medical is a pop up expense. You know, we don't think about it in the moment because other than health insurance, it's not like every month I'm putting, you know, five hundred dollars or two hundred dollars toward a future medical expense. Most people don't budget that way. Right. So so it's a great point that. The big pop-up expenses. So you might spend, I don't know, 20 to 25% more on your food in a month or more. I, I don't know what the... Yeah, right. But when you when you have that pop-up <laughs> expense that's going to take you from, oh, my God, I was going to go on vacation with that money. Now I can't, right? Like uh, when you annualize it a little bit more, your total expense line around these two things, it does really, it does really flip or it really becomes like almost budget neutral, if not benefits your budget. Fair? 100%. Right. Yeah. And also too, like think about the fact that if you're if you're eating this way and you're getting a ribeye, it's like yeah, it could be fifteen twenty dollars a pound. But you're also like look at the average person's cart at the grocery store. It's mostly filled with all this crap that's found in the inner aisle of the grocery store. Cheap industrial ingredients that taste really good, and they combine all these different. Um, crunchiness, creaminess, whatever, something that tastes really good, but it's not actually food. So when you're eating like a real foods diet, you're just buying from the outer aisle of the grocery store. So you're skipping out on all that crap in the inner aisle. That's probably making up the bulk of your purchase order. But even if are the the other thing too is even if it was more expensive, it's the ultimate ROI on your health. And so what we mean by that is like if you lay a really good foundation and base layer of metabolic health, Think about all the compounding effects of what that's going to have in your life. If you're a dad and you have kids and you eat and you get your energy levels under control and you're able to come home and play catch with your son, that's literally like a priceless investment. You have more energy to work, make more sales calls. That's literally could be resulting in hundreds of thousands of more dollars. Promotion, maybe it gives you time to start that side hustle outside, maybe start a new business. It's like these are all things that are extensions of getting your metabolic health under control. And if you're overweight, if you're tired, et cetera, you're just not going to be performing performing at a high level. So I think with what we just said, it's like, number one, it's not more expensive, but even if it was, we would prefer to invest more of a budget towards real foods that are going to make us feel and perform at our best too, because that's the whole point is like eat real foods and go do amazing things with your life as a result of that. Where is, where, where is modern medicine with all of this right now? I mean, you know, I just, I was reading this article in the Guardian getting prepped for you guys about this guy who did five days on a, on a, on a, uh, on a uh, carnivore diet, and then by the end of it, a nutritionist was telling him that he's at risk of, scur- of scurvy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, headline versus actual 
actual read. Like the headline said, nutritionist told me I'm at risk of scurvy. When you read it, he talked to some friend that's a nutritionist who never, ever looked at his his vitals. Nothing. They didn't look at they didn't do blood work and just said because of their opinion about this diet, mm. you could get scurvy. But the headline says, oh, my God, carnivore diet will give me scurvy. It's yes, crazy yeah. how it comes that way. But where is modern medicine? Where is it? Are we coming around? Is it is it generally accepted that this is a valid lifestyle diet, whatever you want to call it? Or is it like still sort of, uh, uh, is there a lot of work to do there? Mm. Man, it's going to take, <laughs> I, I, so I this think. This is big food, I'm assuming, yeah. kind of like. A, well, well, what I, I think if you look societally, like who's talking about these types of conversations, things are definitely starting to get more accepted, right? Like Joe Rogan did a 30-day carnivore diet. He's got one of the biggest, if not the biggest podcast in the world and has tons of attention and eyeballs on it. So in terms of popularizing it, I think it's moving in the right direction socially. Like I've just met random people who are all like at least aware of the diet and it's not some like, I think people hear carnivore they and they think cannibal, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like carnivore can be like a normal thing. Um, and I think it, you know, that's where we're going. But I do also think that the medical community is very much putting up a fight because there isn't really any established research that until recently, there's definitely stuff coming around now, but there hasn't been a established research for decades on this diet. So, um, you know, I think people like Sean Baker too are doing amazing things. He has Rivero Health that he's starting and really starting to prescribe the diet as a way to help people cure autoimmune mm. issues like what Brett's t- been talking about. So I think it's moving in the right direction. I don't yeah. know. What do you think? Uh, no, I think it's, I think that's really well said. You had mentioned Jordan Peterson and I remember Jordan Peterson talked about the carnivore diet maybe a year before Rogan had ever tried it. And Rogan was very skeptical of the diet at first. And Jordan's pushback was, he, I think he said, here's a question. Why is everyone fat and stupid and depressed? <laughs> and it's like, I know that sounds a little bit harsh, but if you look at the statistics, the fact that 70% of Americans are overweight or obese, 40% of our kids are now overweight or obese, one in 10 children now have fatty liver disease. So a disease that was formerly designated to aged alcoholics, our kids are now getting that from sugar. So I think people are waking up and realizing, okay, I'm following this standard American diet that's telling me to eat all of these grains, these seed oils, these things are healthy for me, yet it's making me fat, I'm depressed, I'm lazy, I don't feel good. Anecdotally, I think people are waking up to that and realizing that we need to go down the rabbit hole of alternative health and explore these alternative or wacky diets because what we're being told by the specialists to follow is not working and we're in this metabolic health crisis right now. The issue with carnivore diets and these alternative diets in general is that they don't have the funding and these, you know, these peer reviewed studies that a lot of these other diets have. So it's so what a lot of Western medical specialists will say will be like, oh, that's just like that's uh, anecdotal evidence. That's not research. But for us, with the power of social media, people are realizing, no, like I need to lean in on stories, because if you are proving to me that you could heal yourself from colitis and you tried this diet, but you're telling me you're healthy, why would I why would I? not want to follow that myself. So I think that's kind of the amazing thing about social media is it's given people a platform and allowed them to share their healing journeys. And other people are like, all right, I'm sick. I don't feel good. But this, this guy or gal is healed from, from the same thing. Let me, let me try the approach that, that they tried. Okay. And if it, let's, let's exclude the extremes, right? So there's, there's people that might have, you know, specific health issues that prohibit them from doing something specific like this. I I don't know, but let's just go with like a, a, an average Joe, 35 to 45 year old guy or gal, you know, eats reasonably well, works out decent shape, but you know, they can, they, 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 this is interesting to them. 
Yeah. Does this not work for anybody? Like, is this something where, where like, what do people need to be aware of as far as like, hey, look, it, you know, again, eliminating the extremes or you can mention the extremes if you want. Like, hey, if you got this, this, or this, probably not the right diet. For mm-hmm. That's fine. Cancer. I, I don't know. But is this for anybody or does do people need to be aware of like, well, hey, here's some factors that would say that, you know, this would be good for you versus factors that say maybe not the right diet for you? It's a good question. I mean, <laughs> have you seen? Uh, I mean, I don't know if there's any research, but have you seen anyone that's like reasonably healthy convert to this diet and it's like doesn't work? I haven't really heard of it. I don't know if you have, but you know, there's probably a, there's probably a group of people that is coming from an ext- like you said. Oh, don't talk about the extremes, no, but I, like I, yeah. you know, some some groups in the extremes, like you know, they might need to like wean themselves into the diet. But I haven't heard of anyone really like struggling with the diet once they've committed to it for like a 30 day period. Um, yeah. I don't know how, I mean, we're, t- it's funny. Like, it's yeah. like, we're calling it a diet. Yeah. Good. Really. It's we're eating real foods. This yeah. is like a lifestyle. This is environment. Evolutionarily. This is what humans are designed to be eating. So I don't, it's like, this is, this is what humans are supposed to eat. I point people eat like this and they get healthier That's Well said. and these problems just all of a sudden magically disappear when it's like, no, this is what we were supposed to be eating the whole time. We've just been like kind of misled into this like industrial food complex of fake foods and sugars and oils. That's kind of gotten us into the situation that we're currently in. Do you guys ever touch sugar? I'll have it occasionally. Yeah. I mean, through fruit and honey. Yeah. Um, a piece some of cake at some dark a birthday party or something like that or no? Yeah. I, I think you, <laughs> yeah. you bring up a good point because um, this is something we've been spending a lot of time talking about on the show. And I think it's so easy on social media to curate this this incredible profile of like, oh, this guy never cheats. He's always eat, He's only eating meat. He's not eating anything else. And I think first and foremost, it's like, yes, you need to get your health in order, but life is also meant to be enjoyed. And health actually means resilience in the body. And the body, once you get it healthy, is very strong and it's very resilient. So what I mean by that is if you ingest some seed oils when you're out at a restaurant or you have some wings or you have some birthday cake at your, at your daughter's your birthday. Drinks or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go live your life. You're going to be fine. It's like when I go back to New Jersey, there's unbelievable pizza there. I'm going to go back and have some pizza. And I might not feel the best after it, but I had a great meal with my family and now I know that my playbook is, hey, I'm going to drink some bone broth in the morning. It's going to make my gut feel really good. And I'm going to get back to cooking my meals and eat the things that I'm supposed to be eating. But I'm not going to be a psycho like carrying crazy bags of food into the airport because I'm so worried about ingesting seed oils. Like stress also plays a massive factor in the quality of your health, gut health, et cetera. Um, and I understand that the body is resilient too. So it's like, you, you, you know, you got to live your life too. Amazing. You guys, uh, Bone Broth, you just partnered with a company around a Bone Broth brand. What was the name of it? Fond Bone Broth. Fond Bone yeah. Broth. Yeah. How do you, le- like you I was going to ask you earlier, do you cook with it? Do you drink it? What do you do? Like, so you said drink it in the morning, but what, oh, yeah. what do you yeah. do with Bone Broth? I've never, you I don't do think I've ever done anything with Bone Broth. For real? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, maybe. Let but, us Bone yeah. Broth pill you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can do a lot with Bone Broth. I mean, the simplest and most easy is you just warm it up. And drink it like you would drink any sort of warm beverage. You could put a little, does it but season. Or does it? Is it flavor? I mean, it's the like, one you it, it is flavorful. Yeah. Like it, it would be like a broth from a stew or like a soup. So like if you got to the bottom of like a really hearty soup and that that like what you're drinking out of the bowl, it's like similar to that, right? Um, you know, you could put a little butter in there um, and let that butter melt and drink it. You could make a stew with it. So, like, one of the things that I love to do is just do, like, a chuck roast with a bunch of bone broth in it and just slow cook that down. And then you can take that broth out again and, and drink it again. So, I mean, it's very versatile and it's really, really healthy. I think one of the things that I found surprising about 
incorporating some of these more alternative ways of eating into my diet. So meaning organs and and bones and bone marrow, bone broth, is that these are things that are really, really important to our to our overall health, especially I think the collagen and the the fat content that's in bone marrow when you do make a really good bone broth. So those are the types of things I think people, even if they're doing a strict carnivore diet, they should definitely be trying to incorporate some bone broth and bone marrow, um, just incredibly nutrient dense and nutrient rich. You bring up something I wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, you know, one of the, I was uh, Paul Saladino. We were talking about mm-hmm. before we started recording. You know, he's one of the ones that I think have gotten big popularizing this mm-hmm. this uh, this diet. I tried to get him on here. I think you guys too. And he's just I, I can't get him right now. Yeah, it's huge following. Yeah, huge yeah. following. So you'll get him. Um, as will you. You guys will get him before me. I hope the meat mob. <laughs> well, yeah, come on, <laughs> right. Um, but my he he talks about I think it's like snout to tail right snout to tail nose to tail yeah no same tail, thing so. yeah well so but go through that so I said before like hey I can eat two ribeyes a day that actually got yeah. me like ah oh, fuck let's go but <laughs> do I need to incorporate like raw liver or or the nose of a you know like <laughs> yeah. do you have to incorporate that or is it more in the in the, like the the broths or the stew like give me an idea of like you know somebody who wants to eat carnivore the idea of like I can eat ground meat you know, good ground meat yeah. or ribeye or whatever that like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I can do that. I think. Um, but how do you incorporate organs or, or snouts or tails or whatever other things, at least in Western civilization, civilization living in the DR, it's like normal. They just fucking eat it. Right. Yeah. But here it's not, you know, for me, I'm a 40 year old guy. Like it, it takes me a minute to think like, I don't know if I can eat this shit. Like how do you incorporate it or do you? Yeah. It's such a good question. And there's like, this is a very contentious topic in the carnivore community. So I would say that there's one, there's like half of the carnivores that say, hey, you can have as much steak as you want. You can rely on the muscle meat. You're going to feel really good. There's a lot of saturated fat. There's a lot of nutrients, kind of like Sean Baker, Jordan Peterson. Those guys are basically eating steaks, maybe some ground beef all day long. And then you kind of get the Paul Saladino liver king camp where they're talking about nose to tail. And the thought process behind that is like a tribe, if they're hunting and killing a large animal, they're not just going to leverage the muscle meat. The, The muscle meat's only like one part of the animal. There's bones, there's connective tissue, there's organ meats, there's all these really nutrient-dense parts of the animal, like Harry was mentioning, incorporating bone broth, things like that. So I would say, you know, we, we try to, to we try and keep it simple. Like I would say a lot of my meals do come from the muscle meat, from, from uh, ribeyes and sirloins, and there's also like pecana cuts and Denver cuts and cuts that aren't quite as popularized but are really good. But then we also try and regularly incorporate bone broth from Fond, which is that company we work with. Um, you know, I, I don't eat raw organs every single day, but I, I do try and incorporate an ounce if I can. One of the cool things about Paul is that he owns Heart and Soil, so they make the desiccated liver capsules, they're freeze-dried capsules. Um, so you do lose a little bit of the nutrient content just because you're freezing it, but it's an amazing bridge product. So you can take six capsules, you know, wash it down with some water, and then you have a bunch of raw organs in there too. Um, a farm that we closely work with is a farm called Perennial Pastures, which is uh, out of San Diego. Yeah. They're a regenerative farm, so they're doing things to really improve the quality of their soil. They actually make an ancestral blend of ground beef where it's it's a full pound of ground beef, and then they throw some heart and liver grinds into it. So you don't know. So you don't know. Mm. Yeah, and they but ship you, yeah, right? from what yeah. I saw. Yeah. But you can you could even make that on their own. I mean, something that we've also done is you can you can even take liver, buy it from a buy it from a local farmer, chop it into little pieces, freeze it, and then you can just pop it like a pill too. So you can do like do it yourself liver shots, but the freezing you don't taste anything. So it's like these things are great. I don't yeah. think they're absolutely necessary, but like 
you know, we definitely feel the benefits of incorporating organ meats, drinking bone broth, like Harry mentioned, like throwing some of the stuff into a Dutch oven, making a stew with some of the cheaper cuts of meat and letting it get really tender to the point where it falls off the bone. Um, that's kind of the approach that, that, that we try and fall into. Is this the kind of diet you can, or like, I, you know what I mean? It, it, I agree with you. Like it's, it is a lifestyle. You're like working out is, is you can only will yourself through so much, right? It has to become Definitely. just sort of habitual. So I call it diet, but let's just, let's just, we'll, we'll make that interchangeable with lifestyle change. Um, is this the sort of thing you go into, you, you can or should, or will go into without, uh, you know, with a plan of some sort, with some expert that you, you know, like a doctor or a naturopath or somebody like you, like, is this just something you can, you can try and switch to, or do you need some sort of guidance for whatever your body type, the, your, your mm. weight, your height, your bone density? I don't know. Like what's the, I, I, tomorrow I could go just decide. I'm sure that I'm going to mm. go switch to an all meat diet and take the advice you guys just gave. But if I'm like, I like this, but I'm afraid to just make the leap. I want a little bit more advice on this before. Mm. Like I want, you know, counseling or, or whatever to get there. Like, is there, does that available? Like, who do you mm. talk to? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, my opinion on it would be that you should have someone helping you and coaching you along the way. Cause I think it'll make it last and make you really adopt the lifestyle and believe in it more. Otherwise, you probably start off with less information, exploring, experimenting on the internet, which is great. I yeah. think people should be experimenting with their own bodies and trying to figure out exactly what works for them. But I do also think that having the knowledge base of someone who knows what they're talking about and say, saying like, oh, hey, like you should start incorporating X, like bone broth into your diet. Just having someone there who can hold you accountable and help you actually get the results you want will just make it that much more enjoyable. Uh, you don't necessarily need it. Like we, we neither Brett nor myself did that, but I think that we were like probably fairly comfortable with building up that intuition for ourselves and not saying that we're any different or any better than anyone else, but it's like, yeah. you know, it, it does help having someone along the way who can just steer you in the right direction. Makes sense. Yeah. There, there's a, literally a website called the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. So if you just Google Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners, it actually gives you a database of you know, dozens and dozens of doctors, depending on your state, that will actually work with you to talk to you about diet and lifestyle. Um, and then you're also noticing a lot of doctors that are specializing in alternative health that might have MDs and their physicians, and they're going off on their own and actually starting a telemedicine business where they can advise you on diet, lifestyle choices, advise you on a lot of the things that we're talking about. The issue with, a, you know, like Harry had hinted at it with, with healthcare, a lot of these telemedicine businesses don't accept insurance because it's alternative health. Sure. So you are going to pay out of pocket. But I actually think that could be a good thing because it's going to give you that skin in the game to commit to give your dollars to really learn about diet and lifestyle. Um, and I don't remember the exact terminology, but someone like Dr. Mary Care, who we've had on in Texas, what I don't, what does she consider? Is it like a functional medical clinician? Yeah, yeah functional medical doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. There, there are, but there are tons of ways to find actual medical specialists that specialize in diet and lifestyle, and and can vi advise you and like give you that peace of mind. Makes sense. Too. Now you you're more standard, I would say, in your conversion. Meaning, like what you described is probably you know eighty percent of people. Like I go to work, I'm eating out, you know, sixty percent of the time or whatever. Yours was, you know, you had this medical issue. I can't twenty times a day. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Right. It's wild. medical necessity. You'd have already gone twice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> At least. At least. Put a toilet under the seat. Yeah. Um, but so just, I, I'm curious for me and for anybody else, what was the first two three weeks like for you? Like mm. you know, headache fatigue, 
because you're, you're switching, right? You're, you got less carbohydrate, no carbohydrates in your system. So you don't have that to kind of burn. You don't have the caffeine and all of that stuff. So, and I want to ask about supplementation. Remind me of that if I don't mm-hmm. get to that, if Definitely. I forget, because my mind goes in 20 different places. But uh, what was it like for you? What What's to be expected? Or what, what's it like for people, you know, like you or me? Because we're yeah. more than normal. Like you, again, mm-hmm. you had more of a medical condition bringing you into this. But what am I going to feel for the first couple of weeks? Yeah, the first few days. So I would say it's definitely, Brett gave, I think, a, a very accurate time frame. Like two to three weeks is probably where you're going through some sort of transition. But I think a lot of people will see transitions happen and things start to normalize within a handful of days. For me, it was about three days. And those first three days, it's like you're going to have a little bit of like gut distress. Like you, you might you might not have the same stool that you usually do. Um, you're going to drop a lot of so carbohydrates, allow you to retain a lot of water weight. You're going to drop like pretty much like a significant amount of water weight. And in that period, you're going to want to have salt so that you can maintain electrolytes and still feel sharp. Like if you're losing all that water weight and not supplementing with some sort of salt, you're going to feel fatigue, brain fog, low energy, and you'll probably feel that anyway. What are you doing with salt specifically? Are you literally just pour it in and eat it or are you doing certain supplements or? Yeah, there's, there's a company called Element that I would use when I was, you know, first doing it, but you could easily just take Maldone salt and just put that on your tongue and, and eat it that way or, or wash it down with some water. But I do think the salt, the salt point is a, is a big one because a lot of people will forget about that and then they'll see a massive drop off in their energy levels because they're losing a ton of water weight and then their sleep will be affected. And then by day four, they're like, well, this is just isn't working for me. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, so I think you will go through a period of lower energy. Your body's trying to figure out how to use fat as, as a main source of fuel. And another way to, that I, you know, I was very cognizant of prioritizing fat early in the morning so that my body was getting that fat right away. I was using like MCT oil, putting that in some coffee, um, just trying to front load fat and really just get my body used to burning fat. Cause when it's not getting it exogenously, it's using fat that's stored on your body to turn it into fuel. And once you get adapted to fat, you'll start, your body will start burning off of ketones which I think is like a, almost like a high. Like you're, you will feel such a crazy difference in the way that your brain fires the first time that you, you like you discover what it means to be keto adapted is what the word is. Yeah. Um, and you, your brain will fire at a different level, and, and you'll be like, okay, this is what these people are talking about when mm-hmm. it comes to a high fat diet. Like there really is some measurable increase in cognitive performance. So I think by like day four, day five, like the only things that you should probably still be dealing with maybe is like some like your sleep might still be like a little bit off and on like you, you might be getting up more in the middle of the night um but i think well, after to go to the bathroom or just waking up ju- just like your your few, the your energy levels i think it just get like out of whack um like i i just i i remember um you know, the first few days, like I didn't have as much sugar. So my cortisol, I'm assuming was like just higher because sugar kind of puts you in that like calmer state, lowers your cortisol. And so I think that just higher cortisol levels was keeping me up a little bit, like a little bit more like angsty. Um, but that subsides at a certain point. Headaches or no? Mm, some, but you know, with salt and staying hydrated, that usually isn't an issue. Gotcha. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you want to say that? Much? I was saying yeah. that um, there. Harry mentioned Element. There are a bunch of really good hydration powders that that help getting enough sodium, magnesium, potassium, 
Element's a great one where it's like one stick gets you like a thousand milligrams. Wow. Um, and then also there's another powder called Good Anya. They're based out of San Diego. It basically tastes like healthy lemonade. You throw a couple tablespoons in there and you you can get similar thing too. A b- bunch of really good minerals. Um, but that's probably the big thing. People notice some headaches or a little bit of fatigue. And then once, the, once we typically get their electrolyte levels up, they feel really good. Um, and I think just the mental, like you just have to tell yourself, like most people just... It's like, you know, you're talking about real estate or compounding interest, whatever. Most people don't give themselves the ability to compound, like stay with this diet, like give yourself two weeks. I was about to say to, that. Right. It's like you got to like just take two weeks two for weeks. now. Yeah. Right. And then see just, how you feel. Just take two weeks, cook your meals. Like Harry was mentioning, prioritize really good quality animal sources, eat a lot of food until you're, until you feel full and satiated. And you'll start to notice all the benefits after a few weeks. Like the amazing thing is that with like the standard American diet, we're focused on eating and snacking. And there's this concept of like, how many calories do I need to feel really good? Where it's like, when you start going lower carb, you're like, oh, I actually feel really good off of like a minimal amount of calories. And you're like minimal calories. You're talking about eating two 10 ounce steaks. And we're like, yeah, because there's so much protein and saturated fat. It's like those meals are big, Mm. but you're not snacking and eating all these other things that really add up to a lot of calories over time. Like most people don't, they underestimate the calories that they're eating because they're eating these little snacks, but they're doing it throughout the entire day. Where it's this, it's two huge meals, but over time your calories might be like 2,500 but you're burning 3,500, so you're in a thousand calorie deficit. But because you're getting so much saturated fat and protein, you feel incredible, and the body felt is just the body fat's melting off of you. Too. Are you eating yeah. the grizzle? If that makes any sense, like you eating the fat, the, the little fatty ends of like a ribeye, for instance. Oh, I like eat everything. Everything. So you're yeah, just putting okay. it all down. That's where that's where all the energy, yeah. all, all the energy density is eat in the fat. First. Yeah, I remember <laughs> being a kid. My mom's like, "Don't eat, don't eat the yeah, fat," and now it's like when we eat a steak, we. Eat we eat everything. What about supplementation? So you talked about, um, I'm just thinking like even, you know, what do you do pre-workout? What do you do? Po- I mean, post-workout, you have meat, right? So there's yeah. <laughs> protein in it. But And collagen, you mentioned, is a great po- post-workout, I think a great post-workout uh, thing to have, or at least sometime in the day. So you're getting that from the meat. So you mentioned that. Is there any supplementation that you do or need to do or people should think about? Or I don't know. I'm just kind of curious where that comes in. Yeah, I, th- I think supplementation, just given where the food system is at in general, it's something that people should be aware of and probably should consider. I think particularly with minerals, like I have been supplement- supplementing with magnesium. I think that's one that's just, it's basically been drained out of our food system because the soil has taken such a beating with all the chemical fertilizers that pe- people have been using. So I do think that there's some like some amount of supplementation that might need to happen, even if you are going down the the carnivore rabbit hole, I, I just think there's a benefit to adding in some trace minerals, some magnesium. Um, but beyond that, I, I think maybe there is a place for having some convenient protein or having uh, collagen powder that you can just you know throw in a shake and have after a workout. Like I try to stick to real whole food sources. Like I'll have raw milk after a workout. Like that's as nutrient dense as you can get. And it's just like an amazing uh, refuel after a workout. I don't know if, if you had any other things that you, you include, but I think you nailed it. The only, the really, the only thing I supplement with is just that desiccated, that freeze dried, those freeze dried liver capsules. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely a, worthwhile for someone to get their blood work done once or twice a year and have like a medical professional, right? Audit those 
deficiencies if you are if you are minerally deficient. Um, there's a company that we've had on called Blokes, which is a it's a men's health company. So they'll send you um, they'll send someone out a nurse out to your house. She'll take your blood work. They'll do the full blood panel for you, and then they'll actually have a professional kind of interpret your blood work and can make recommendations on supplements and things like that based on some of those deficiencies. Um, you know, a lot of people like magnesium for stress and sleep. Some people recommend creatine. I mean, there, there's a ton of creatine in red meat, so I don't really supplement with creatine outside of that. But yeah. I felt I honestly just felt really good doing a gram of protein per pound of body weight that I have. So for me, that's like 190 grams of protein. So if I have, you know, some whack, whack two steaks a day and maybe like a protein shake outside of that, I feel pretty damn good. Interesting. Could you have something? Well, I was just going to say, I think there's a huge component here too, in terms of like lifestyle, uh, like getting enough sunlight. Uh, I know a lot of people live in cold climates, like they really don't get a whole lot of sunlight during the winter. And now we're spending more and more time inside. And one of the things I feel really strongly about is hormonal health is supported by mm. our lifestyles and the diets that we you know, feed ourselves. So I, I do think a lot of people just miss the mark when it comes totally. to lifestyle. Yeah. So it's like, you're not getting enough sleep. So whatever food you put in your body, it's not even being metabolized pro properly because your body is fighting chronic stress because you're exhausted or you're not getting enough sunlight. So your body doesn't have enough vitamin D to transport all the different vitamins and minerals around your body. So there's so many different components that need to play into this conversation around supplementation um, that, you know, like if I were to recommend for like the average person what they should do, it's like get your sleep in order, get your lifestyle in order. And like that, that basically just means like, you know, are you, are you drinking like two or three times a week and staying up late? Like that's probably something you should consider before you throw a bunch of supplements from some random company down your throat and then make sure you're getting enough sunlight. Like, I think that that's like the bedrock of uh, a really healthy lifestyle and get your steps in, you know, go for, you know, five mile walks, break that up. But, you know, I think that those are the types of things that people should be thinking about before they start thinking about going for supplements that are they think are like a silver bullet solution and really they're just like mm. you know that yeah. sometimes sometimes they're not even all that um digestible because they don't come in like a whole complete form so it's it's like uh your body kind of rejects it because you're not getting it with all the other things that it would have come with if it were coming through a whole food source makes perfect sense yeah cholesterol it's a big topic, LDL, HDL. Like, I feel like there's like this funnel with cholesterol. It started like, oh, high cholesterol, bad. And it's like, well, there's a good cholesterol and a bad cholesterol, right? So as long as your good cholesterol is good and, you know, whatever. For you guys, I mean, you've been, how long have you been on this diet? Or how long have you had this lifestyle? I'll say it that way. Six years. Six years. Okay. What does cholesterol look like for you? Does it matter? What, give me, give me just riff on cholesterol for a minute, whatever, whatever that means for either of you. <laughs> I mean, you, you probably, I'm assuming you, this is a topic that pops it's, up. Right? I mean, it's Definitely. it's such a contentious topic, and right. it's why a lot of people don't start it in the first place because we've been conditioned of you know 50, 60 years of nutritional dogma, basically telling us that um, you know we shouldn't be eating cholesterol. There's good cholesterol. There's bad cholesterol, etc. I mean, we we try and focus, and I've got my blood work done. My yeah. my cholesterol levels are are perfectly in in range, even the LDL cholesterol. We tend to focus um, having a high HDL, low triglyceride level, keeping that ratio really solid. There are some people that may notice when they go carnivore that their LDL might get elevated. Which one is the good one? Is that the good cholesterol? LDL is LDL is the bad, bad cholesterol, the, yeah. like Got the boogeyman that. cholesterol. Yeah, um, and it, yeah. 
um, there there are some people. There's like a hypothesis called uh, it's called lean being a lean mass hyper responder. So what that means is if you have really low body fat and you start eating a lot of saturated fat, it might cause your LDL to get elevated. Mm. But as long as your HDL is high, the triglycerides are low. From what we've seen, you know your health is still going to be optimal. You're going to be feeling great. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's like a really unique phenotype of person too. Like I think there's, it's like few and far between who are like that. But yeah, I think LDL cholesterol is something that got demonized by, um, it got demonized in like the 60s yeah. when we were looking for a solution to why Eisenhower, Eisenhower had a heart attack. I think there's a lot of different factors that contributed to that, but that was when fat started to get demonized. And I do think that like cholesterol got thrown in with that. Um, cholesterol is like a life-giving molecule. We would not have any of our sex hormones or, uh, you know, any of our hormones in balance if we didn't have the proper levels of cholesterol. So I think that the medical side of things, like in terms of research and what's, what's been, what's been put out there and what is being researched right now is really interesting because there's a whole group of people now who are trying to dissect this conversation and figure out like where we need to be spending our time. And it's really not as simple as LDL bad, HDL good. Um, And I, I think there's one study out there that was actually proving that people who are into their later years who had higher levels of LDL were actually not running into the same issues as other people who are the same age with lower levels of LDL. So that would be like brain function, like people with lower levels of LDL were actually running into dementia at a higher percentage. So just like things like that, it's like there's so much on both sides of the aisle Mm -hmm. where people are, you know, making arguments that both seem uh, like they're credible for the average person. But I do think that like for the most part, cholesterol is – a life-giving molecule and it's something that like it it, it does get a bad rap and I think that the bigger issue is really about like metabolic efficiency and like what does your overall metabolic health look like like that's where people should be spending their focus like if you're like a lean person and you don't struggle with obesity or hypertension like your cholesterol levels are are more than likely not going to be an issue. Yeah. 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 There there are a lot of other factors to metabolic health like Harry mentioned. Like the most predictive measure of your metabolic health is actually your waist size, which a lot of people don't realize. So it's waist size, resting heart rate, blood pressure, um HDL to triglyceride ratio. And I think there might be one more that I'm blanking on, but the whole point is like we singularly focus on LDL when there's all these other factors that are very predictive of our overall health. And so I think about you know, a middle-aged guy that's going carnivore and he feels amazing, his skin gets better, he loses a bunch of weight. All these indicators are proving that he's healthy, but maybe his LDL gets jacked up a little bit. And then his doctor's like, no, 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 we can't have this. Let's put you on a statin. Let's let's fix your diet back to like six servings of grains a day. And then it's like, okay, so you brought his LDL down, but now he feels terrible. He put He's putting on all the old weight. He's having all the same symptoms. So like, what are we really solving for here by trying to keep the LDL so low? Um, so again, it's like not experts, more so just like enthusiasts that have had our own experience. But when you start to peel back the research and the curtain on like how we've gotten to this point where we demonize LDL, it doesn't really make sense. And I think 
everyone at home should Google uh, President Eisenhower's heart attack in 1954. Yeah, this is like news. The Rockefellers um, and education has become a big thing. I didn't know about Eisenhower and heart attack. This is fascinating. There's a lot of these things that have gone on, these events that have gone on throughout history that have really influenced why we are the way that we are nutritionally. Mm. And I think that's a really good example. It's like in 20 seconds, he... He had a heart attack. A lot of other men in there that were middle-aged were having heart attacks. They didn't understand why. Um, Eisenhower was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. That'll do it. Other men were smoking multiple packs of yeah. cigarettes a day. There was a um, there was a scientist named Ansel Keys out of the University of Minnesota. He had a diet. It was like a diet heart hypothesis that LDL cholesterol being elevated was causing um, heart disease and heart attacks. Um, basically, an unfounded hypothesis. And we latched onto it 100%. Wow. wow. Well, back uh, then, uh, tobacco was good for you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Doctors are telling you, right? we're smoked. Well, and that's, yeah. I want to talk about your brand and what you're doing, because uh, I think it's incredible. And, you know, the tribe of millionaires, right? We're all about community. You guys are building a community. I want to talk about the business of it. We'll dissect that mm -hmm. for a little bit. But the last thing I want to ask about um, on, on this whole topic is what what's the, what does it look like behind the, the, uh, What's the propaganda machine look like? Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, big food funds, big pharma funds, medical schools, fun, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what's this, the information that's generally accepted? And again, your thoughts. You, you said it well, like, you know, we're not expert, we're enthusiasts. From an enthusiast yeah. standpoint, you guys are obviously deep in the research and deep in the weeds on this stuff. Who's the villain in this? Who are the villains in all of this? Not like they're all wrong, but like the news, the information we have is because what lobby is pushing, what lobby is pushing, what group? Kind of curious. Let's get conspiracy theory on this. Mm. What was the Nina Teichel's fact recently that was talking about the food compass that came out? And it was something around the lines of like 95% of the people who contributed to the food compass, which is the new uh, guidelines around what people should be eating yeah. had some sort of conflict of interest, whether or not like with their financial position in investments in some of these like bigger uh, food companies or whether they're like, a, they had a board seat on a, a company that was um, put them in a position where their judgment might've been, uh, you know, not pure. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, that's just one example. I think that there's probably plenty of example those examples and you need to look at it in its totality over the past hundred years, because that's how long, this has been happening, in in my opinion, where it's like as soon as there was money to be made in processed food mm. and making cheap food into products and turning products uh, into just profits, then people are going to be able to capitalize that, and they have been. And you know, I think about like the Pepsi's, the Cokes, the Kellogg's. All of these companies have done an amazing job selling basically the same thing, which is sugar, mm -hmm. and so they're just doing that in you know their their own way, but yeah, like a lot of the research that gets funded, it's not getting funded by, you know, the farmer down the road. It's getting funded by these these big conglomerates. So I think a lot of the, the research out there that's been done, it's like it's probably worth taking a second look at who is yeah. Right. yeah, vaccine stuff, all of it gets it, it. Go ahead. It, no, it is creepy. It is creepy. And to build off of what Harry was saying, I think everyone should go on Google Images and type in big food monopoly. And there's this amazing infographic where it shows um, – on the, on the outside of the graph, it shows all these brands that you recognize in the inner aisle of the grocery store, like candy bars, different types of cereals, et cetera, different colors, different shapes, different logos. But on the inside of the web, it's it's about 10 to 12 companies that actually control those thousands of products. Yeah. So I think it's like there's, th there's 37,000 products that are in the average grocery store. 
and almost all of them are controlled by 12 companies that are that are publicly traded. So it's like, it's not a conspiracy. It's that their incentives are to maximize their shareholder profits. So they're naturally going to combine the cheapest ingredients, oils, et cetera, to make these things cheap, make them addictive, combine different things that... Um, that will light up different parts of your palate, the crunchiness with the cream, the saltiness with the sweet, you know, th this stuff has been proven. They have food scientists to be able to create it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you serve this to the public, you have massive marketing budgets. Um, you teach people that things like saturated fat aren't good for you and you need eight to 11 servings of grains, which is what, you know, standard American diet, a lot of people are following. And it's like, yeah, it's pretty easy to see why, why we've gotten ourselves no into shit. the current situation. <laughs> Big ag is just as bad too. It's like something that I've, spent a lot of time writing about it's like it do, it's not just isolated to like big food big pharma it's big ag and i think it's important to say like it's definitely not productive to be contrarian just to be contrarian but <laughs> having these big conglomerates control the narrative yeah. without there being any competition or any opposing voice that can speak up for some of these other things that like are kind of like forgotten sciences. Like I think like the carnivore diet is kind of a forgotten science. I think another thing that would fall in that category is raw milk. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like something that is very nutrient dense, but it's been labeled as like this food that you shouldn't eat by the FDA. Because it's, of uh, disease, safety, whatever, cow. Yeah, yeah. yeah you need but, to go through a process to make sure everything's kind of baked out of it, if you will. Totally. Yeah. But then there's a whole story behind that too. So it's like, you know, I just think... Um, it's really good to be skeptical when it comes to these big institutions. What, hap uh, like what, what happened with Rogan's 30 day thing? I forgot to ask that earlier. Did he stop? He Did lost he 12 pounds. Um, I th think it's just something he like, like we say, like carnivores a really good tool. I think he thinks of it kind of in a similar way. Like he'll do it like once a month out of the year. Yeah. Um, okay. Or one month out of the year. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Flexible dieting. I think he's a guy, you know, he does a lot of elk hunting. He yeah. cooks a lot of his meals. I think it's similar. It's like he prioritizes animal protein. He throws in fruits, vegetables. He goes out. I know he likes pasta and stuff mm -hmm. like that, but like he knows what his core framework is to follow to make him feel really good. And then he has an amazing tool like the carnivore diet in his back pocket where it's like, hey, if I want to do a 30 day challenge or remove all these inputs and get my health down or lose a bunch of weight, get my energy levels up, he, know, he kind of knows how to to work those tools and be his own coach. I love the moderation approach you guys have with all of this, right? It's like you said, it's not yeah. like, you know, get off everything. Ah, you know, it's not so polarizing. It's definitely, it's much more like, Hey, look, life is life. It's meant to be enjoyed. I'll have a slice of pizza or whatever. Um, but I, I'm really intrigued by this. I'll have to message you guys. If I, uh, I, I feel like I'm moving toward, I got to give this a shot for two weeks. Like Dude, you said, please yeah. Do. yeah. And let you guys know. It's definitely taken us some time to get to that approach too, with like, yeah. you know, just kind of trying to be oh, a little excited, right? Up, yeah. up front, it's like, Oh, it's all, it's all in, I'm assuming. And then it's like, all right, yeah. you got to kind of meet your people where they are. Definitely. Def I think we're both yeah. extremists by nature, mm -hmm. but like, you know, we try, well, you know, try to like yeah. make it so that people are like, I can do that. Like, it's not a big deal to shift over to a more meat focused diet. Yeah. That's kind of where we come at, at uh, it from. Yeah. It also challenges you too, when you're building out a brand and you're noticing that like the most popular content you're putting out is focusing on these carnivore removal diets and being like, Carnivore diet's amazing. It worked for us. I think it could work for so many people. I think so many people should try it, especially if you're sick. But as we're progressing, it's like, no, I do actually like eating fruits and maybe I will eat some vegetables. Maybe I will have some carbs every once in a while. But the content that's doing the best is like the pure carnivore. But that's not actually what we should believe everyone should be doing long term. So it's very interesting. It's like, 
you know, your your beliefs actually matching up with the type of content that's going viral. Mm. It's it's an interesting position to be in because you want to be as true and genuine to your audience as possible, too. It's like we were saying so many people just curate like the perfectly aesthetic profile on social media. But it's like, is that actually the diet that you're following 24 seven? Yeah. You know, we want to give people the most genuine look into this as possible. I'm like, dude, I still struggle with sugar cravings and want to diet Coke or want a slice of pizza and stuff like that. And I think it's important to be honest and upfront and show people that like you struggle with those things just like everyone else. I love that. So you're saying that the stuff that's resonating the most is pure carnivore is pure carnivore. Yeah. Is it, is, what do you think that reason is? I think it's a combination of the extremism, like Harry mentioned. And I think people are also hearing too, that like these people that are the sickest are trying this red meat removal diet and they're, they're curing their disease. Why do you call it red meat removal? Like, what does that mean? Red meat removal. Sorry. So it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a red meat focused diet, but it's a removal diet in nature and that you're removing all oh, these, these other inputs. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got but it. I not, could get not that. removing red meat. No. Yeah. A red meat diet. Yeah. That's a removal. It's diet, a removal. Right? It's removal a, yeah. Everything it's a removal got diet. It, Cause it, you're, it. you're, it's so simple because you're taking out all these other inputs and you're focusing on a such few amount of foods that it allows you to really take inventory over your body. And then you can, what you can do, what we did is take a food journal which I know sounds, you know, it's it's a lot, but it's like you literally write down what you're eating and how you feel after you eat it. And so like Harry mentioned with the fiber, a lot of people notice like when they eat dark leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, it actually causes a lot of gas and GI distress, beans too, because they have some defense chemicals. You realize through the journal, you're like, oh damn, when I'm eating some of these other foods, I actually don't feel as good. So then you can cut those foods out and kind of determine what proportions or what foods make the most sense for you how you, or how you feel your best. Got it. Is there a, I know I said last question on me, but uh, is there a, an ideal temperature, medium, medium, well, rare type of, uh, for, for meat? Is there, is something more ideal than the other? Or can you overcook and cook nutrients out of food or should you just eat it raw? Just grab a steak and eat it. What's the right, what's the right thing? <laughs> Nothing above medium, uh, no more well done than medium rare. We like our, we like it nice and bloody black and blue. It's like you, you, you know, you grow, you grow into. He says it. that with this wry smile. <laughs> we make our shit ruby red. Um, I, I, I don't know. You, I like the here. the Pittsburgh's here. Yeah. I like medium, medium. Yeah. I usually go medium, but people are like, oh, that's yeah. more medium rare. I'm like, no, oh, whatever. Like, I, whatever I like, works for you and makes it sustainable. No, but dude. medium rare that yeah. makes sense. I was curious about that. Like a lot of people, are like, oh, I need my meat well done. But what's the? Let me ask this. What's the difference between well and medium rare from us? Like, are you losing ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent of the value? of the carnivore diet by, by cooking it beyond medium rare. Do you know what that is? I think it would be conjecture. Like, I don't know if there's any real data on that, but like you are losing some nutrition by cooking it more. It's definitely like part of it, but how much, I'm not sure if there's any real data on that cow. Nothing like that. No, (laughs) nothing like that. I mean, I probably, I've eaten two steaks a day. (laughs) I've eaten close to two steaks a day for years. And, uh, you know, I feel the best that I ever have. I got off all my drugs and medication and, you know, I can only speak for myself, but it's like, it it really did change my life. It, you know, gave me more energy, more confidence. I think it's a a huge reason why we started the show. Mm. And that's why we, we talk so passionately about this stuff because we see what it's done in our personal lives, and we see other people that have taken control of the food they put in their system, how it transforms who who you are as a person. Like it could help you become that ideal version of yourself that you always thought that you could be. And we just imagine like, what could the world be like if people really ate the right foods and took control over the food they put into their system? Just gets us excited. Who came up with Meat Mafia? Kind of a little bit of both of us. Yeah. He created an account on Twitter, anonymous account, 
Carney, Carney Clemenza Godfather character. And I was like, well, I can't let you be the only guy with a Godfather character. I need a Godfather character. But we first called ourselves the Food Mafia. The Food Mafia. I think. And then yeah. somehow it was naturally like, no, we should do Meat Mafia. It's way cleaner and it's more on brand. Yeah. Yeah, it's but, perfect. I think it's a great, great name. You're my second mafioso that I've had on the oh, podcast. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's the other one? Michael Francis. Oh, okay. no, that's a great. He was that's amazing, a great guest. Amazing, amazing guest. He's, He's awesome in the last year as well. But um, so, Meat Mafia, it's a podcast right now. What's the what's the business around? Is this what you guys do full time? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And we also we have a marketing agency that we run as well, and we're working on everything that we're doing is based off of what we're doing with the Meat Mafia. So. With with the show, it, this started in March of last year. Wow, we've done 173 episodes since then, 174 with even more in the backlog, and uh, we really just started it because we had been writing on Twitter, and the Twitter stuff that we were writing about started to resonate with people. People were interested in what was happening in the food system. We were writing these longer form threads about what had happened in the food system and why people were running into issues when it came to quality of food or access to food or just like people running into issues with conflicting information, right? Like we've talked about a number of topics already today yeah. that, you know, the status quo says one thing, but like this contrarian movement of carnivore eaters says another thing. So we're really writing about like what's happened throughout food history. And we started to take off in like two months in, we're like, yeah, we need to start like a different platform so we don't have all of our eggs in one basket. And we were like, there's no better way to have these longer form conversations than start a podcast. So we were really, it was kind of just shooting from the hip with the yeah, podcast at the yeah. beginning. We were doing virtual episodes. He was in San Diego. I was down here and we recorded a bunch of episodes early on just virtually. And it was great. Got our cadence down and it's just been amazing. The types of people that we've been able to connect with. What's the, the show look like? So Meat Mafia's podcast, what's the, what's the, the behind, is there a community? I, I don't know. What's the funnel look like for, or what's the future of Meat Mafia look like? I think that the future of Meat Mafia is we really, we almost want to become the barstool sports of food and nutrition. It's like, like right. Like you, like you were saying, we think that we have a really fun, modern, simple approach to mm -hmm. food. And we want to, we want to just expand on that as much as possible. So we were saying like, how do we take our friends and other talented people and help them create their own platform? So our buddy Casey that we went to college with, he went to culinary school. He's a super engaging guy. He used to do food reviews and recipe videos. And we're like, well, why don't we start a cooking show for like animal-based healthy recipes? So he, so Casey is now Chef Donnie Delicious, and he hosts the Mobbed Up Cooking Show, which is Hilarious, like, yeah. which is part of the Meat Mafia brand. He's so up in Boston, right? He's actually he's in Austin. Oh, he is. He is oh, in Austin. Okay. But I we met him in college. Yeah, yeah. Um, so things like that, and then you know, we're working on identifying other brands that maybe we could acquire and kind of throw under the Meat Mafia umbrella. People that are talented on creating Twitter threads or writing long form blogs that have a good perspective on health and nutrition that fit us. It's like, well, is there a world that maybe we could? work with some of these brands or acquire some of these brands and have them come under our umbrella and really and really fuel what we're doing. That's what gets us excited. Um, and then outside of the media business, we're actually working on our first physical product right now that should that it might actually be live by the time this episode oh, is no shared. What is it? It's called Noble Origins. Noble Origins? Noble Origins. Okay. It's basically an animal-based version of Athletic Greens. Oh. So we were trying to figure out, okay, we we love all these really nutrient-dense foods, but like are people going to necessarily go and source it and cook all these foods and go get raw milk? Probably not. What if we could create a scoop that has like all these nutrient dense things kind of provided in powder form? So in Noble Origins, you take one scoop, 
and it gives you beef protein isolate. It gives you grass-fed collagen, grass-fed colostrum, which is first the first milk of the mother cow. So it's really good for your gut. Um, there's also freeze-dried organ powder in it, um, sea salt, and um, some some cacao powder. Very minimal ingredients. So it's like you get all these really nutrient-dense things in one scoop, but it basically tastes like chocolate milk. So we did a lot of really good like R&D on that, really analyzing the taste. And you know we're excited just to like put something out there that we really wish existed in the world and try and take these ancient nutritional principles, but like how do we just make it modern and fun and delicious and throw it in your shake in the morning, water, milk, you could throw it in coffee, um, just kind of you're, you're in the studio right now. You've had a long day. Throw some noble origin in there and crush a sh- crush a shake. Like That's just simple. Wow, you guys. Yeah. Did, did anything come of the shout out on Rogan? Um, I mean, not, I know it's not necessarily it, tangible, yeah. but did you feel an uptick? Did you? There uh, was there was for like a little bit, definitely in viewership. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that it was really good credibility for us, having been working on the show for a long time, <laughs> just seeing or you know like a year and seeing like something that was not measurable, but an amazing like data point of like, okay, like things are moving in the right direction. Cause as you know, as an entrepreneur, like you need that, you need yes. stuff to you hold on that. to. You're like, yeah. okay, like how many times I can, I can tell you when you're building your brand or doing what you're doing and I'm still like, you know, I'm, you guys are far and away ahead and I love what you're doing. But as you're building your brand, you know, you get to points, at least I do where it's like, fuck am I doing? Like no one's listening. Right. And then it just seems to be that something happens in that moment, right? Like yeah. somebody messages like, Hey, I don't comment or, or anything, but what you're doing is changing my life and that, 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 something like that. Right. Yes. Like, okay. There's you're the like, sign. I can't stop. There's a sign. Keep going. <laughs> yes. Right. Like that's what that has to be like that little, that little name drop, you know, from, uh, from a guest on Rogan to, you know, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, right. It's like you connect the dots and there's these moments of validation along the way that, that tell you that you're doing the right thing. And so that was actually Adam Curry that gave us the shout out on Rogan. And so Adam Curry created the the initial. He he's the pot, they call him the Podfather because he create he cre- literally created podcasting. No the shit. The concept of an RSS feed. He created it with Steve Jobs. That's why you said thank you, Podfather. I thought you meant that, Rogan. That's why no, because Adam Curry. Oh no shit. Um, so he's yeah. actually based in Fredericksburg, right outside of Austin. Yeah. And um, him and his wife have gotten really into regenerative agriculture, sourcing meat from farmers. His his wife did this challenge called 75 Hard. She did it all carnivore. Sure. We met him at a conference. He liked us. We had him on the show. We had an amazing conversation. And he was like, here, here are two young guys that quit their jobs. They're trying to make people healthier. I think he saw something in us. And then we coincidentally went over his house for dinner the night before he went on Rogan. We had no idea. And he kind of like just casually was like, yeah, I'm going back on Joe's show tomorrow. And so in the back of our mind, we're like, damn, maybe he'll like name drop us. We'd never say, didn't yeah. say anything. Oh, yeah. It's like, we were both like, I'm, yeah. like, All right. I'm like, that would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like a pitcher that's pitching a perfect game. You're not going to say anything to him about it. So like, we didn't say anything to, but we're like, yeah, maybe he would mention us. And then our phone started blowing up the next day because he had mentioned something about our brand on, on Rogan, which is so cool. But yeah. it's just a, it's just a cool proof of concept, man. Like Harry mentioned, 173 episodes. None of this even existed a year ago. There wasn't a lot of, like we were t- saying to you, the genesis of the meat mafia, there wasn't a lot of thought behind it. It was just, hey, we're really passionate about this. The social media thing creates infinite leverage. Why don't we throw some content out there and just see what happens? And now here we are a year later with man. totally different lives. So out world, guys. Anyone Honestly, can do it. Out world. I love what you guys are doing. So where can people learn more about you, find you, all of that good stuff? Where do you want to direct them? Yes, uh, Spotify is a great place to start. So our podcast is broadcasted 
all over, you know, every feed that you can find, but Spotify, Apple Podcasts is a great place to start. And then we have a Substack. Uh, it's the Meat Mafia podcast uh, at Substack. And you can get some of our writing. And then also our main platforms are also Twitter and Instagram. So the Meat Mafia podcast on Instagram. Is there an episode you'd point people to? Like if, you, if somebody's like, wow, this is interesting. This whole, I've kind of heard of her. Maybe I haven't. I want, I want to know more about this. Is there an episode or a, a guest that you had on that you would say, start with that one? Mm. I'm putting you on the spot here. I have a handful. Okay, but throw, throw a couple yeah, out there. The first one, just I think so highly of this guest, Taylor Collins. He founded Epic Provisions, and then he also owns Force of Nature Meat in Rome Ranch uh, in Fredericksburg. And um, I just think the conversation was one that I just remember leaving there being like, that was as cool. Like if this thing, if nothing else happens with the meat mafia, I'm so happy that we had the opportunity to have that conversation. Wow. So he's just again, Taylor, Taylor Collins, Collins. And he's an ex vegan turned animal base. Like now it just has an amazing story about selling brand, selling a brand. And it was all centered around food and getting people to eat more meat. Uh, and now he's doing this. Now he's just neck deep in regenerative agriculture, which is a big part of what we talk about on the show in terms of getting high quality food. So that one for me, it's like, if you walk away from that episode being like, that ah, didn't like that didn't jive with me, I'll be like, okay, okay. You're, you're just not part no, of we'll our drop audience. That. We'll <laughs> yeah. drop that in the, in yeah. the show notes. Good. Yeah. No, that'll be good. I just, I would say it encapsulates so many concepts where like Taylor and his wife were raw vegan. That's why they went carnivore. They were trying to heal some health issues that they were having. He talks a lot about regenerative agriculture at scale. He, him and his wife own a regenerative bison ranch in Fredericksburg. So he's like built a business around carnivore animal-based movements and then has actually transitioned into the regenerative space. Talks a lot about cost of meat, like things that we were yeah. talking about on this show. He can break it down way better than we can too. But if you go to the Meat Mafia podcast on YouTube, the first video that will pop up is actually a live podcast that Harry and I did at a at a at a conference at White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia. White Oak's probably the most well known regenerative farm, and we we kind of just did a live podcast going back and forth, like telling our health journey and just dove into different topics that we love to that we love to talk about, but we're always spinning the wheel looking for new guests we do three episodes a week so it's like high volume so if, if someone's listening and they love to just crank content our show is probably a great fit because we're always putting episodes out guys appreciate you coming in thanks for the i, I think i cold reached out when i found your brand on instagram gotta do it right man cold <laughs> yeah, outreach that's right and you uh you guys replied and here we are so appreciate you coming in thanks love so it. much thanks man. jamie yeah, this is great appreciate it yeah.